Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. It's freezing outside. I mean, it is, uh, it's brutal. It's ridiculous. I mean, the wind chill is, is like negative 30 right now. And if you're feeling chilly inside your house, well, you know what you need to do. It is time to talk to your local Pella, Omaha, and Lincoln experts about taking a closer look at your windows. You can save energy, but most importantly, right now you can stay warm with windows from Pella that are properly installed, the patented Pella way by pros using window and doors with the highest energy efficiency ratings in the industry from Energy Star. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza, what you know, you look at the uh, you look at the forecast right now. I'm looking at it. Tuesday is going to be a whopping high of one degrees. One. So that means you need to take advantage of temperature Tuesdays. The temperature at 6 a.m. every Tuesday for the rest of the month of February in uh, the the temperature in Runza land is going to be the price you pay for an original Runza sandwich when you purchase a medium fry and a medium drink. Listen, it was free last week because it's so darn cold. It might be free again. Get out to Runza. Take advantage of Temperature Tuesdays. Get your Runza game right and tell them your pal Nick Baugh sent you. All right, it is, uh, it, is, it is Sunday. It is Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to everybody out there. I'm taping this about 10 o'clock at night. Just got the kids all settled into bed, got everything all ready to rock. I'm down in my pod room. And uh, it, it was quite the weekend of basketball for, uh, for Creighton and Nebraska. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Creighton's big win and Nebraska snapping the streak. But I want to start with, with, uh, with the Creighton Blue Jays because, man, that was, uh, that was quite the statement from Creighton on Saturday afternoon. Fifth-ranked Villanova came to Omaha, and Creighton dominated Nova to the tune of 86-70. to 70. And in all reality, it, it wasn't that close. It really wasn't. And there's kind of a million takeaways with, with this game. But to me, I think the biggest takeaway from this game is Marcus Zagorowski. That was by far the best Marcus Zagorowski that's looked all year. That looked like the preseason Big East player of the year. That looked like an all-American caliber point guard. And that is the key to Creighton's season. I've been a broken record on this for two years now. Creighton goes as Zagorowski goes. Say it with me, people. Creighton goes as Zagorowski goes. When he plays well, Creighton plays well. When he struggles, Creighton struggles. And what's what's kind of tough, what's kind of tough is there's been this feeling around the Creighton program in this basketball season um, that of kind of like, hey, man, you know, Creighton isn't quite clicking. Man, it's Creighton been a little up and down. Creighton hasn't really gotten it rolling like we all thought. And all, all of that was valid. And the reality is, to oversimplify it, it all comes back to Marcus Zagorowski. It does. Think of it this way. Do a little exercise with me here. How would you describe Zagorowski's season so far? I'd say good, not great. Little inconsistent. Hasn't gotten it rolling like he did last year. Okay. Now, how would you describe Creighton's season so far? 
good, not great, a little inconsistent. Hasn't quite gotten it rolling like they did last year. You see that? It's it's directly tied together. Marcus Zagorowski's individual play has kind of been a microcosm to Creighton's season. Now, am I oversimplifying it? Yeah, a bit, but not too much. Not not too much. I had and still have high hopes for this team. And I, I think they are a, a dark horse Final Four team. And any questions I had about them a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, a month ago, whether it was, hey, you know, you need a secondary playmaker in the backcourt to fill that Tyson Alexander void offensively. You got to figure out what you're doing with Alex O'Connell and Antoine Jones off the bench. Uh, Rebounding is always going to be an issue, a little undersized. All those questions paled in comparison to the ultimate question for this team's fate. And that question is, can Marcus Zagorowski get it rolling? Can Marcus Zagorowski recapture that magic he had at the end of last season. That was the ultimate question surrounding this team. Any any sort of angst or concern with Creighton this year and projecting them into March Madness all really came back to Zagorowski. Like, if, if Marcus Zagorowski continues to not fully be himself and not fully look like he did at the end of last year and and not shoot it as potently and consistently and and not separate from defenders consistently when he's getting to the basket and and not fully capture that same fuck you killer mentality that he has, then I think Creighton is good, not great. They could make the Sweet 16, but could also get picked off in the first round. Again, good team, very capable team, but not the team that I I thought was a preseason top five, top ten team. Well, to tie it all back to the Villanova game, for 40 minutes, Marcus Zagorowski looked scary good. And because he played great, Creighton played great. So for me, calling the game on Fox, when, you know, when – when I took off my headset after the game, the reason I felt way better about Creighton in the moment wasn't just because the final score read that Creighton beat Villanova. It was because my eyes saw that point guard that I fell in love with the second I watched him play as a freshman. My eyes saw one of the best point guards in the country. My eyes saw the real Marcus Zagorowski. And as long as that guy is back and here to stay, I'm here to tell you, look out for Creighton. And you you could see it right away in that game. Or maybe it was just like the first two drives to the rack, he went left off the window, went right, got into a, the body, laid it up. He had better burst, better separation. The jumper looked good. First media timeout. First media timeout. I I looked at Tim Brando. I told him, I said, hey, man, Marcus is feeling it. Marcus looks great. He's moving really well. And sure enough, the guy dominated the game. Zagorowski played 37 minutes, 25 points, 10 of 18 from the floor, 5 assists. Everything starts with him. 
He scored. He passed. He controlled tempo. And for me, the the real moment of the game for me with Marcus Zagorowski happened at the 16-10 mark of the second half. And it wasn't even a, a play with the ball in his hands. So Marcus Zagorowski had hit a little floater over Colin Gillespie to put Creighton up 13 points and cap off an 8-0 run, forcing Villanova to, to call timeout. And the dragon was back. This was the moment. Marcus Zagorowski stood at half court, and he was punching and fist-pumping and cussing to himself and had that look. He tasted blood. He smelled fear. The beast was unleashed. That psycho killer, I'm going to rip your heart out. How dare you even dream of fucking with me? Marcus Zagorowski was right there. And it's that guy that's a nightmare to deal with. We haven't seen the dragon, the beast, the serial killer Marcus Zagorowski this season yet. Go back and watch that Seton Hall game to to end this season last year. Dude was dude was talking and was talking to Quincy McKnight, talking to Miles Powell, was, was fist I mean, he was he was a serial killer out there. And we haven't seen that yet this season. We haven't seen that look, that feeling until that point to me. Go back and watch it. 16-10 mark. Jay Wright calls timeout. Zegarowski's at half court. He starts fist pumping to himself. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. Oh, it's like that. You're back. Okay. I see you. And I'm just, I'm telling you, if that if that guy is here to stay, Creighton's got a shot to make some serious noise in March. I had a I had a Zoom call with Jay Wright on Friday. Again, because I was doing the game on Fox. We get to talk to each coach before the game. And, you know, so I'm, we're, we're, we're talking to Jay Wright, and I asked, I asked Jay, I'm like, give me, the, you know, when you look at Creighton, is there one specific area of the game, one specific component of the game? Like, what's the key to, to, to playing Creighton, in your opinion? And the first thing he said was, well, we, listen, we got to give Zagorowski different looks with ball screen coverages. If we give him the same look for 40 minutes, he's going to pick us apart. Well, Jay Wright, after the game, reading the, in John Neotawa's story in the Omaha World Herald, Jay Wright, after the game, said this about Zegarowski. Quote, he's so smart, every change, me, every change we made, he read it and really sliced us up. He sure did. I mean, Nova tried different things. Hard hedge, lob dunk, Christian Bishop. Switch, drive, all the way basket, floater. You're not going to force me into the pick. Baseline and one spin off the off the backboard. Hand down, get ready to fight over the pick. Three ball in your eye. Like he had the answer for all the the things Nova threw at him. And and the next thing Jay Wright said to me on the Zoom with with the the question I asked about the keys to playing Creighton or whatever. He, he said, we better have the focus and energy to chase Mitch Ballock around all game. 
Well, y'all saw it. They didn't. Villanova let Mitch get loose, and it started raining threes. Mitch Ballock finished 6 of 8 from 3. He was 5 of 6 from 3 in the second half. So the the two the the first two things Jay Wright said they they weren't able to do. But the big thing with this game, and both coaches said it in our Zoom calls, Coach McDermott and Jay Wright. The big the big thing with this game was pace. Creighton wanted to get the tempo up. Villanova needed to slow the game down, make it a lower possession game. And you can see that. I mean, Villanova ranks 330th in the country in tempo, according to Ken Pop. They're actually a really slow, methodical, walk the ball up the floor, chew 20 seconds off the clock kind of a team. And so it was really going to be a battle of wills of who could establish the tempo that they wanted for that game. And Creighton won that battle, mainly because after giving up seven offensive rebounds in the first five or six minutes of that game, Creighton then started cleaning up the defensive glass and defending at a really high level. And when Creighton, when this Creighton team defends at a high level and finishes finishes each possession with a rebound, that's when the tempo gets kind of ignited. That's when they can roar. Rebound, outlet, and run. Roar. That's what I was I was taught that by my JV coach, Tony Kudroki, when I was a freshman. And in particular, in the second half, Creighton's defense was stellar. I mean, they had held Villanova, who Villanova ranked fifth in offensive efficiency in the country heading into that game. I mean, Villanova is the real deal. They held Nova to 10 of 33 from the field, and they were plus six on the glass in the second half alone. And because of that, that allowed Creighton to blow the game open. Because it felt like, I don't know if anybody else watching the game felt, it felt like Creighton was in offensive transition the entire second half. Didn't feel like there was they were the whole second half they were they were outletting and running because they kind of were they were stringing together stops and rebounding and running and their pace and transition attack is so tough to deal with when that's the case. You, so you put it all that together, and you had yourself a pretty special Saturday of basketball for Creighton. Quite the statement beating Nova like that, but I mean again the. The main reason I I exited the CHI Health Center feeling pretty good about Creighton wasn't just because Creighton won, but because Zegarowski looked like the old Marcus Zegarowski. And, you know, we've talked about – I mean, it's hard. I mean, he he tore his meniscus. He's recovering from that. He's, He's trying to recover from that during the pandemic. You're not able to get as much work in. It's harder than when to get onto the court. You know, then he has, then he, you know, he kind of has a nagging thing with the hamstring in the middle of the year. He misses two games. Like, you, I get it. Like, it's hard. It's, it's, I've said it before. Like, just because you're, just because you're medically cleared to play doesn't mean you're 100% back. It takes time to get the rhythm and timing and all that stuff. And I just felt like the Marcus Zagorowski I saw on the floor for, for 37 minutes against Villanova on Saturday looked like, looked like a dude that would, had found his rhythm, his timing found his mentality, he was getting to his spots, he was separating from the defense, and man, when when that's the case, Creighton's, Creighton's pretty darn good. Let's take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime pals and loyal supporters of the podcast, Pella Windows and Doors. You know, Pella has a window type for every home and every budget, and you might know Pella for its award-winning wood windows, but did you know that Pella also has a complete line of industry-leading patented fiberglass and vinyl windows? Pella's 
fiberglass windows. Use a patented Duracast material, more durable than aluminum or vinyl, made from a composite material used in the aerospace industry for its strength, durability, and temperature resistance. It's big time right there. And Pella's Vinyl Window Series offer all the features that make it one of the most energy-efficient windows on the market with the same value and style you've come to expect from all Pella products with outstanding structural integrity. Built from multi-chambered, fully welded frames and sashes, Pella's Vinyl Windows assure a quieter, more comfortable home. Bottom line, Pella's vinyl and fiberglass windows are really, really cool. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And while we're here, let's talk about my good friends at Runza. Got another super secret menu item not a lot of people know about. My friends at Runza are hooking me up, and I'm going to let you in on it. This one's just, uh, you know, this one's near and dear to my heart because it's a twist on the best fries on earth. Runza's Crinkle Fries. It's Runza's Chili Cheese Fries. That's some legendary Runza Crinkle Fries topped with their homemade chili and cheddar cheese sauce. Let me say that again in case some of you passed out just thinking about it. Legendary Runza Crinkle Fries. Homemade chili, cheddar cheese sauce. Oh, my goodness. It's a side that eats like a meal. So there you go. Another super secret menu item exclusively for Nick Bob Podcast listeners. So stop in, order the chili cheese fries at Runza, and while you're there, I'll tell them Nick Bob sent you. Okay, back to the podcast. Two other things with this game. You know, the, the first one's Christian Bishop. I feel like, and this is on me, I think. Like, I feel like I got to alter the lens at which I view him. Because, you know, sometimes, sometimes, in life, and this can be true in sports, sometimes how we get introduced to someone can shape your perception of someone. And if you think about Christian Bishop, he kind of got thrust into the into the five spot last season because of injuries with Jacob Epperson. And he kind of had to figure it out on the fly. There was this feeling early in the season last year where Creighton was just trying to kind of like figure it out with Bishop at the five. So he's almost viewed like, hey, look at Christian Bishop hang in there and make it work at the five. Good for him, man. And I'm here to tell you, he ain't just hanging in there. He ain't just making it work. He's kicking people's ass this season. He's a really, really, really good player. Like, think about it. Is, is Christian Bishop better than Jer- Jeremiah Robinson Earl? No. Did he kick Jeremiah Robinson Earl's ass on Saturday, though? Yeah, he did. He did. He's a real player, man. His versatility and athleticism is special. And his, his ability at the five spot to do multiple things at the top of the key in Creighton's offense is just really special, and it really unlocks everything. I mean, think about it. When Bishop's got the ball at the top of the key, and they got, you know, they got guys in the deep corner and guys on the wing. Think about everything that's at play. He can he can pass it. So, you know, a guy can go back door, boom, he can put it on the money, he can pass it. He can drive it, you know, he can act like he's gonna go do something, then you know, he can beat these these five men off the dribble that are a little slower foot. He can dribble handoff. 
So dribble it at a guy, hand off, and oh, by the way, while you're while he's dribbling at a guy, that's when a guy could go back door. That's when he could also punch the gas and dribble past you. He can dribble handoff. Or he can just swing it and then follow it with a with a ball screen and roll. And him rolling to the basket, catching lobs, really, really good. All that is happening. And I'm telling you, not every five-man can do all those things. He leads the Big East in field goal percentage. And, I mean, he can really, really score around the rim. He's averaging 11.8 points per game, five rebounds. He's shooting 70% from the field. 70! He is playing great. And the last thing with this game. So, and this is just, like... This was the first Creighton game I've done at the at the CHI Health Center since they've started allowing fans inside the arena. They didn't Creighton wasn't having fans in the first month of the season inside the arena. And those were kind of the games I was doing early on Kennesaw State doing some, you know, Marquette and Nebraska like those were the games I was doing early, but since Christmas I've called I've called Creighton games but they've been from Charlotte out of the studio or or I've I've been doing other games from from Charlotte out of the Fox Studios, or the games that I've done on site have been in arenas that didn't have fans. Iowa Carver Hawkeye Arena didn't have fans. Marquette, Nebraska, et cetera. And so on Saturday, the attendance at C- that CHA Health Center was listed at twenty five hundred, and man, I thought the fans made a big difference. And maybe it's because I'm just used to you know dead quiet arenas but what I was just amazed at how loud 2500 people made the atmosphere feel like and it was fun to hear that roar of the crowd again now it's not the normal 18,000 roar that you usually hear at Creighton games but still a pretty good roar so there you go with uh with Creighton I still really like Villanova by the way I just think sometimes sometimes in basketball you just you run into a buzzsaw What's that old saying? Like sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the you're the bug, like, or vice versa. Yeah, it's just that's basketball, man. Now I will say this: I don't love Creighton doesn't play again until the the twenty fourth, February twenty fourth. I don't love this ten or eleven day layoff or whatever it is. I don't love it. Like they just played their best basketball game of the season. If I, to me, keep it going, and now they got to sit for like ten days. I wish they could kind of go out and right out there and play, but I know Coach McDermott feels differently. I feel like he thinks the guys need a break mentally, heal up, all those things, and he would know better than me. Let's just hope this this lull for over a week without a game that you know guys continue to make good social decisions because March is just around the corner here, and man, got pretty exciting thinking about March when he saw the way Creighton looked beating Villanova on Saturday. Okay, so Nebraska. Nebraska finally snapped their 26 consecutive conference loss streak on Sunday afternoon winning at Penn State. One by one. And real quick, stop and really let that that consecutive conference loss streak sink in. 26 straight conference losses. Nebraska's last Big Ten conference win was January 7th, 2020. They beat Iowa at PBA. Think about all that's changed since January 7th, 2020. We didn't even, I mean, we didn't even know what 
what COVID was. We didn't know what, hey, wear a mask, social distance. We didn't, we, Patrick Mahomes hadn't won a Super Bowl yet. Tom Brady was still in the Patriots. Joe Burrow and LSU hadn't won a national championship yet. I could go on and on, but you get the point. January 7th, 2020 was a long time ago. 26 straight losses to Big Ten teams. Man, like, and even though this is largely a different team from last year, from a roster standpoint, it still had to be wearing on those guys mentally and emotionally. Not to mention, they hadn't, Nebraska hasn't beaten a Division I team since December 1st. They beat South Dakota. I was on the call that day with Kugler on BTN. Yeah, they beat Doan on December 17th, but Doan's not D1. They're not even D2. Come on, get out of here. I mean, think so... December 1st, last last win over a Division One team. Nebraska football still had three games yet to play in their season. They had they still had to play at Purdue, Minnesota, and at Rutgers. Like th- that doesn't that feel like that was a long time ago? So so think about all that. Twenty six consecutive conference losses dating back to January seventh of last year, twenty twenty. Hadn't beaten a D one team since beating South Dakota on December first, and. They got crushed by COVID and had to pause for almost a full calendar month without playing a game. Oh, and by the way, oh, and by the way, to keep on adding to it, oh, and by the way, Nebraska kind of got kind of got uh, punched in the gut with an overtime loss at home to Illinois on Friday night. They had a top 10 team on the ropes. Had them beat late, fell apart, lost in OT on Friday night, and then they had to get on a plane the next day to fly to Penn State to play on Sunday afternoon. So, um, yeah, lots working against this team and wearing on this team mentally and emotionally. So I guess it's, first of all, hard to not admire their fight to lace them up and, and, and go out there and beat Penn State. And... I, watching watching the the bench and and Teddy Allen and of it run onto the court when the buzzer sounded when they emerged victorious put a smile on my face. I don't know how it was for you guys. I don't know how you couldn't feel great for those guys. And you know, listen, they played Nebraska played pretty good basketball for about thirty two minutes. Got up double figures. Really, were they were controlling the game and then. You know, with about the at about the eight minute mark, Penn State slapped a three quarter court press on Nebraska and was falling back zone, and Nebraska just got on their heels. They lost their aggressiveness. They started to play not to lose, and they almost they almost let it slip away. It was a really good coast to coast finish by Teddy Allen for the game winner, and a hell of a defensive play by Derek Walker on the final defensive possession to get the final stop. Three three things with this team and, and game. So the the first thing is they Nebraska finally shared the ball at a high level. You know, you watch it and then you pull up the box score, 19 team assists on 27 made baskets for Nebraska in their win over Penn State. Way, way, way better than it had been all year. I thought the ball movement and trust, but but I almost think most importantly the mindset 
of trying to make a play for a teammate was the best it's been all year. Guys thought about creating for each other instead of themselves. Because there has been a little bit of that. There has been a little my turn, your turn. Teddy's, oh, you know, Teddy's got it on the wing. Teddy's got, you know, he's got the blinders on. He's going to force it. Oh, here's, you know, Trey McGowan's, he's tucked it under his arm. He is, he ain't kicking it. Delano Banton has put his head down. It doesn't matter what's in front of him. He's barreling into it. I just think guys thought about creating for each other instead of themselves. And there's a, there's a difference. I mean, I even thought that the guy in particular, Teddy Allen, who I just said him, he can be a black hole at times. He drove and kicked it quite a bit. So, and you've heard Hoiberg talk about that. Like, you know, he talks about driving it into a pile. Like, drive it in there. You've created a pile, right? That means there's a pile of def- of help defenders around you. So, w- what does that mean? That mean that means kickouts, extra passes, guys are open because the the defense has collapsed, right? He said it after, uh, it was, I think it was a Minnesota game. He said, we're driving it into a pile. This game, they would drive it into the pile, but they'd stop, kick. And then, and then, you know, Teddy, drive, kick, Trey. Trey would either, then Trey could drive it, kick, swing. Like, th- then the offense started moving a little bit. I just thought the unselfishness in offense was much, much better. That is the first thing. Second thing is, you know, Derek Walker isn't Shaquille O'Neal but he's really, really, really important to this Nebraska team. He gives them a chance to hang in there inside. I mean, you think about it. He made Kofi Coburn work on Friday against Illinois. He made, you, you know, he made Robbins from Minnesota work. You know, he made Penn State's bigs work. He battles down there. And I hate to say it, like, he's just, he's a lot better of a player than Big Ivan is. He just is. He's a better defender. He's much more skilled on offense. He's got better hands. And in a league like the Big Ten, which is the best big man league in the country by a mile, if you don't have someone down low that can hang, you're in trouble. You're not just in trouble, you're in big trouble. I mean, for all the issues that Nebraska's had over the last two years, a lot of it comes back to that. And again, it's not like Derek Walker's that, you know, I don't think Derek Walker's an all Big Ten caliber player, but he gives them a chance to hang in there. The way they've been constructed over the course of the last season and a half, I mean, they couldn't hang in there. They had to double, they had to collapse, they had to, and they still, they still do, you know. They still, I mean, again, Derek Walker can't just go like, eh, single coverage against... Garza, he'll be fine. Eh, no. But he gives them a chance. Derek Walker makes a huge difference. And like I said, I don't think I don't think like I don't think Derek Walker's an all Big Ten caliber player, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have value. He he's got value. He makes a big difference. And then number three, you know. Kobe Webster played really well on Sunday in extended minutes in the in the win at Penn State. 29 minutes, 13 points, 4 rebounds. And, you know, I've thought all year Kobe Webster needs to play more. I've, I've kind of, that's kind of been perplexing to me why he hasn't gotten on the floor more. He's arguably their best spot-up three-point shooter. 
He doesn't try to do too much when he's out there, and Lord knows Nebraska's overflowing with guys who are maybe a little too aggressive and Banton and Teddy Allen and Trey McGowan's. Even Shamil Stevenson gets a little thirsty out there. They need some guys who just move the ball, catch, swing it. You can't have five guys that – you can't have five Teddy Allen. You can't have five guys just just thinking about driving. I mean, some guys need to be ball movers. Kobe Webster's a you know he'll move it a little bit, but he's aggressive. But he but he he'll move it, and Kobe does that. Kobe Webster does that. So I like that Fred Hoiberg played him more, and I hope I hope he sticks with him moving forward. Now I get he's he's small. You you la- you give up some stuff defensively with him. I understand all that, but man, offense that ultimately how you're built right. You know, offensively you got to get it going. You need someone that can make a shot. You need someone that can move the ball. So I hope he sticks with them a little moving forward. And the 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 thing that I've also liked about Kobe Webster is he's by far the most uh, engaged and enthusiastic guy on the bench when he's not in the game. And I I as long as that it's it's not phony and it's authentic, like I think that stuff matters. I really do. He you watch when he's not in the game, he is into it, which tells me his his thoughts are in the right place. And oftentimes when you're thinking about the right things, good things happen to you. So I was happy that he played well. And I'd like to see him get some more minutes. So shout out to Nebraska for snapping that streak, man. Losing's no fun. And maybe they can kind of build on this. I mean, you know, they they had to have had a mental block, right? They had to have. I mean, they kind of they kind of pissed the Illinois game away. They almost pissed this Penn State game away. So to finally win a game has to be a weight lifted off everyone's shoulders. And lastly, there's you know there's kind of been a lot said about Nebraska's crazy you know reform schedule here coming off the COVID pause for the final month where you know God they're trying to play eleven or twelve games or whatever it is in three or four weeks and you know a lot of people have ripped the Big Ten question why and listen I get all that I, I get it. I'm not here to debate how quote unquote safe it is coming off COVID pause to do all this stuff. Like, I don't know how to answer that question. And quite frankly, unless you're a doctor, neither do you, all right? All I can tell you is, you know who is loving this schedule? The players. I guarantee you all of Nebraska's players love this. They get to play game after game after game. I mean, as a player, that's what you really want. Like, those guys are like, yes. When they when they saw the schedule, like, oh, What? I would have loved to play five games in eight days and back-to-backs. I'd have loved it. And I was thinking about this. I think this schedule could maybe be good for this team from the standpoint of some teams need, like some teams need to improve from practice and some some just need games. And I, I'm not so sure this group isn't is at the point where they just need games. Like some teams and some individual players they learn more from games than they do practice. And the other thing to me, too, is, and maybe I just, maybe I played for some old school coaches and Dane Altman and Bill Self that, you know, where practices were, you know, consistently two hour, two and a half hour just grinds. For me, I always thought most practices were harder on my body than games. That may, maybe, again, maybe that's a, I mean, I, it's, you know, I 
played it's getting to be almost two decades now i mean i was started at ku i mean i played from 2003 to 2008 so i mean i guess that's not necessarily yesterday you know and things have changed in medical sciences and and you know research on you know I hear all the time coaches talk about, oh, we, you know, we're we're trying to not be on the practice floor too long. I'm like, man, where was that when I was playing? We were, man, Coach Self, Dana, we were practicing. He was killing. They were killing us every day in practice. Didn't matter if it was February, March. We were going two out, killing us. So I was thought the games were like, game day was easier on my body. So I guess I just, I see this, uh, I see all this, a little different than everyone else. I'm viewing it from a player's perspective. And again, I can't I can't speak to the medical side as it pertains to COVID. I, I don't I don't. All, all I know is I guarantee the players are loving playing all these games. Loving it. So that's just a thought. All right, there you go. Heck of a weekend of hoops, man. Nebraska snaps a streak. Creighton big win over Villanova. Exciting, exciting stuff. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Just click that subscribe button while you're there. Give it a five-star rating and a review. And remember, you can email me anytime, nick at nickbaugh.com. That's nick at nickbaugh.com. You can shoot me an email anytime. appreciate you downloading and supporting the podcast. We'll catch you next time on the Nick Baugh Podcast. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.